On January 1st, 1994, the Wisconsin Badgers gathered in a small locker room in Pasadena, California to listen to Matt Foley, the famed character portrayed by Chris Farley, deliver a rousing speech before the Rose Bowl. That extra bit of motivation may have altered the course of football history. With 12 minutes left to play in the fourth quarter, Daryl Bevel channeled his inner Steve Young on a second-and-eight play, scrambling 21 yards for a touchdown, leading to a Wisconsin victory over the formidable UCLA Bruins. The run sealed Wisconsin's first Rose Bowl victory and impressed analyst Bob Greasy. And Bevel, a Wisconsin sports legend, was born. Eight months later, Mitch Trubisky, a quarterback also known for using his legs to gain yardage, was born. Bevel was passed over in the NFL draft, but went on to lead an illustrious coaching career with plenty of intersections with the Midwest and Chicago Bears. From serving as a pass coordinator of the small, financially unstable Westmark College in Iowa, to serving as the offensive coordinator for players such as Brett Favre and Russell Wilson, Bevel worked under famed coaches such as Mike Sherman, Brad Childress, and Pete Carroll. He worked alongside Bo Pelini, Charles Brown, Dan Quinn, Robert Sala, and Carl Smith. But the question remained whether the championship pedigree and breadth of experience would be enough for Bevel to beat a team with its back against the wall and lead the Lions to its first victory of the Daryl Bevel coaching era. This week, the Bears needed to prove that their young quarterback, offensive line, and defense could rebound from a pitiful performance and deliver a much-needed win. Matt Nagy and Chuck Pagano needed a game plan to beat a team all too familiar with the Bears' scheme and they needed this game plan to become a blueprint for the next few weeks as they would face similarly constructed foes. The Bears seemingly dominated the Detroit Lions for three and a half quarters, giving up isolated, explosive plays to the Detroit offense, yet controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Unfortunately, on a controversial play call, the Bears gave up a strip sack, and the defense gave up a red zone touchdown to relinquish the lead. The offense failed to convert a fourth and one on the ensuing drive. This is David and Drew Sports Talk. David, the run game looked totally different, and I think the O-line, like I mentioned, pushed the line of scrimmage. What are your thoughts on the offensive production in the run game this week? You know, I thought it was the best the whole year. Montgomery looked the most comfortable he's looked all year. I think he ended up with, what's it? What was he averaging, like six yards a carry or something wild like that? It was over four. Over four. I mean, that's really good. Um, so, you know, I think the Bears look good on offense. Mitch was, other than his one little blunder at the end of the game when he got strip sacked, the Bears offense looked great. I, I just don't know why the Bears defense let up this week. Well, let's talk about that play that you just mentioned, the strip sack, because I think a lot of people are characterizing it as a fumble. And to me, having played like many years of football, and you might have the same view, I don't think a strip sack really counts as a fumble because we see players like Khalil Mack strip sack players like Aaron Rodgers. You know, those are plays, and I think he remarked on it in the press conference, like that was a good play by their defense. And so where do you place the blame for that play? Oof, I don't know, probably the, the offensive line. So. Okay, so so we're talking about Jermaine Ifedi then at right tackle you think is mm-hmm. responsible. I do. Well, I mean, I have – I kind of think it was ridiculous when you have a running back that we just said was averaging over four yards a carry and you're on a third and four. You can force them to use at least one of their timeouts potentially and you don't give him the ball. And, you don't, and then you don't even use the strongest side of your line that proved the entire game, like – you could have had David Montgomery, or or even even if not Montgomery, you could have had Cordell Patterson line up behind like a uh, JP Holtz, 
behind Mustafer, Whitehair, and Leno and just try and grind out that three three and a half yards, right? Like right. It, it didn't make sense to me, but I think it's a little too simplistic to say why did they pass it? You know, I mean, maybe they saw something, maybe they, you know, I don't know. But but the thing is though, it was it predictable? Like, did they know that they were going to pass on that down? You know, I don't know. I just think they dialed up a defensive combo that confused the line and got a free hit on Mitch pretty much. Um, I'll be honest with you. I was watching the game with my dad, and there were times where Mitch played really well during the game, but there's one thing that's sort of coachable, sort of not coachable, is his pocket presence. He does not feel the pocket very well sometimes, and he's fast too. I, I think he just gets locked on to receivers sometimes, and he's not able to change up his focus and get downfield and get positive yards. To be fair, we don't know if that pocket presence is a result of the coaching because we saw Nick Foles did not have much of a coaching presence. And he's someone who's more experienced in the system. Like he refused to step up in the pocket. Like that's undeniable, right? Yeah. He, He kept wanting to do those like seven to eight, even nine yard type drops. And so like, it's really hard with our sample to tell whether that's Mitch. Okay. Well, I, if that's being taught by the coaches, then shame on them because both their quarterbacks aren't quick enough getting out the ball to just stand in the, the pocket and just survey the field. And, and if they are coaching the correct technique, then shame on the GM for getting two quarterbacks who are uncoachable. <laughs> I don't right? think they. I, either or. No, right? I don't think I don't think the quarterbacks are uncoachable. They're two really stand-up guys. The thing is, they just can't process the information quick enough. From what we've covered in this podcast, we've kind of covered how the lack of transparency in the football industry forces us to make assumptions. And one of these assumptions is potentially they're being coached to not feel the pocket correctly. And I I think that's something that if you watch Bears football, David, you might be able to remark more on this. The past few seasons, people would ask Mitch about the way that he rolls out of pressure and the way when he turns his back to plays. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of um, the way that he'll almost like do more yards and we see Patrick Mahomes do the same technique where they almost like run straight and then curl around to the back side of the play that's an atypical technique there's sort of a history is there not with this type of criticism of pocket presence yes there definitely is I mean I hate to break it to you but uh Trubisky is no Mahomes or Watson so the offense within the first and second year uh, years of Nagy and the Trubisky relationship was a read first offense and for whatever reason Meaning when I say read first, it's, you know, there's one read for the which receiver will be open on the play. And if it's not there, you could run. I don't know. It's almost like analysis by paralysis. Like it's like when you put all that information in front of someone and they just, they study hard, but they just can't retain it because they're trying so hard to remember it. I think that's kind of what happened to Trubisky. And he's kind of probably in a situation where he's like overthinking when he should run and when he should throw. I, I know it sounds weird, but like, the rolling out, and he's just – Trubisky's athletic, but he's not as athletic as Mahomes or Watson to be able to roll out like that. I would only add that I don't think it's even that he's not as athletic because he did put on a lot of weight this year, and it almost it's almost like he prepared to be the type of quarterback that Cam Newton is in New England this year, but they didn't want that. Like, what they wanted was elusivity, not mm-hmm. athleticism. I think there's, like, a fine line between those two. So it's almost like, did they not – help tell him what they wanted out of him because he put on like what like i don't know if they have that recorded like if they have their weights year by year but i I think i recall in the off season when they were going over 
like what their home regimen is, you know, like talking about like, oh, like diet, working out, do you have a home gym? I think he remarked on that in an interview. So you could check me on that. But that that's to be um, kind of sorted out the veracity of that. But but to your point, yes, he, he does not have that certainly elusivity and arguably athleticism that Mahomes or Watson has or even or even this year Cam Newton maybe not the past couple of years moving on though how is the pass rush is that the fundamental problem of why they're giving up big plays right now is it the lack of a pass rush I think so I mean the Bears do this 3-4 thing and then they'll sometimes get the outside linebackers involved in Mac and he'll put his fingers down on the ground they're not moving the line of scrimmage at all and the Bears have world-class um a world-class secondary and they can only hold receivers for so long regardless of how good you are receivers are all tall guys and can run like deer and you're asking smaller guys to cover them while the quarterback has more than five seconds to throw that's pretty hard yeah we did talk about last week there are some strategic decisions on placing of the pass rush that were befuddling against the packers but i i think this week though it, it really put them on display and that they can't produce because time and time again, they had these like dime looks where it's like they're using these like signed pass rushers to act as that like um, second um, linebacker, you know, like, so you have three down linemen and then you have another pass rusher who's usually like a lineman or, you know, your Khalil Mack, like you mentioned, he's like a lineman kind of lined up behind the nose, the nose uh, guard kind of like ready to play games with the gap. So, They had a four-man rush, I think, a lot more than they did last week. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like they didn't really have an excuse for not producing. And I think in the first half, you know, they didn't put pressure on Matt Stafford, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't wasn't what we wanted, but it wasn't terrible. And they did contain the offense to a degree in the first half. Then these DBs are not on the hook for poor play then. No, no. They needed to get a pass rush. That's the big thing. And I think as fans, a common fan might blame the DBs because what you see on the on the broadcast is just a DB letting his guy catch the ball. Right, right. Uh, okay. Well, the one thing I would add to that is I, I almost feel like we've said a lot of the way that we respect Chuck Pagano, and you mentioned that he, he's coaching primarily the 3-4 system. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like they were told that they were built for a 3-4, but I don't think they are. And I think they're built for, and I think Ryan Pace understood this in this offseason, is the trend in the NFL, we see it from the Colts, we see it from a number of other teams, is using that big nickel 4-2 scheme. And so if you put a player like Robert Quinn at DN, and then on the other side you had Khalil Mack in a, a big nickel type 4-2 system, like that, that's going to be better. And I think that Robert Quinn is built more for that. I don't think he's built for 3-4. Right. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of like where you do see him on the field. And so, like, it's almost like what we're seeing on the offense, where there's a disconnect in the understood strategy and what the coaches are doing. So, do you think um, it, Pace is getting really talented guys, but they're in the wrong schemes almost? You were saying yeah, that with I Quinn, who had, who's only had like literally one sack the whole year? Well, and, and think about it. When we talk about when the Bears get run on, it's like talking about a lack of depth in the interior line. So mm-hmm. then why not play a system that needs less interior linemen? Yeah. <laughs> like like coaches across the country do this every year. Oh, we only have two quality D tackle recruits. Oh, well, we'll just run this scheme to accommodate our personnel. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I think there is a bit of that creeping into the defense and it's concerning. We just touched on some of the defensive coaching. Matt Nagy's second half strategy. 
What do you think? I, I thought it was fine. The thing is, down the the Bears like dominated the whole game and should have won that game. It was that major turnover in the last like two minutes of the game that literally lost it. And I I don't know if it's the Bears were like I mean the Lions were still playing hard and with the Bears the whole game. That's the thing. I, I mean the Bears should have won the game they dominated, but the Lions were still there. And I don't know. It's get. We've talked about it. We don't like how Nagy uses timeouts. Sometimes they take forever in a day to choose when they use the timeouts. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm out of euphemisms to describe Nagy's uh, decision-making because you're here the coach speak after every game and he's a positive guy and he really cares about the culture of his team. But it's like, at the end of the day, that was a physical error that lost him the game, not any mental errors. When you say they dominated most of the game, does that come solely from the play of the players? Is that what we talked about with dominating the line of scrimmage? Or does that come from all aspects of the offense? Like, What, what do you think that domination is coming from for those three quarters? You know, I thought it was all act, um, parts of the game. I, if you looked over, if you were while watching the game, looking at uh, Matt Stafford's temperament, he looked f- frustrated at times. Um, I mean, he played well, but he looked frustrated at times because of the physicality. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think, again, I don't put this loss on coaching. I feel like this is a physical error at this game. That being said, I think the coaches are going to be held accountable, and ultimately uh, we might not see Nagy next year. I'm not saying I'm pushing back on that, but I think it's completely on coaching, and not in coaching that you see on game day. Okay, because when Mitch had that fumble, the defense let them score. They're down by, what, four points? Four points. At that point? And that Cairo Santos missed field goal was a pain in the butt. We don't People forget about that. Yeah, that, that would have been nice to have, but – that was the right decision to put him out there and kick, I thought, at that point in the game. The amount that we see during the game of coaching is just a small percentage of what it takes to win an NFL game. There's a famous adage in NFL football and really all of football of games are won during the week. You know, as fans, we see these flashpoints in the game, you know, like that strip sack that we think caused the outcome of the game. But what we're not seeing are those those systemic problems in a franchise or a team that actually do result in a loss of a game. And the reason I I want to touch on that is because they had a chance to win the game. Mitch was playing well on that drive, and then they had one of their premier players, and I don't blame him for this. I think that this is on the coaches. They had one of their premier players, Allen Robinson, not have that Reggie Miller presence of mind. Oh, my gosh. That last play? Yeah. When and, and I don't, a I don't yard blame short. Allen Robinson for this. And I, I will blame him when, when there are balls that he should catch. You know it better than anybody, David, because I'll be like, oh, man, he dropped it. I, I'll be critical. But the thing is, that comes from coaching, of having your players ready and having the presence of mind to where it's almost like they're not even thinking, but they're just, like, trying to get over the correct line to, to gain, right? And mm-hmm. line to gain meaning they're getting the first down when they need to get it and when they're close, right? And so I think that comes back on coaching and preparation. I'm not so sure that they're executing this system and installing it the correct ways. And so I think some of this could be preparation. And, I mean, I think we're kind of seeing that from some of the players, the frustration of this disconnect between preparation and results on Sunday. So there's got to be something systemic there that's not these, like, tiny flashpoints like a strip sack there's something more there's something deeper to the problem with the way that they're coaching there 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I, there's just a lot of holes in the Bears roster that uh, need to be fixed. Was there ever a time when you were playing football when, you know, you'd play a team and you thought you had them, but for whatever reason, they just like stole a game from you at the end? Did oh, ever, yeah. Well, maybe not because playing at Loyola it might not have been. Well, I'll tell you, my sophomore year, we were playing Montini, and Montini is 7A, Loyola Academy is 8A in Illinois, and we were up 21-0, and they ended up beating us 28-21, because they had 28 unanswered points in the second half, and that kind of comes down to, we got complacent and didn't keep the pedal to the metal, Um, and... uh, I don't know. To some degree, I know that's a little bit more of a extreme situation than the Bears because the Bears were more dominant throughout the whole process of the game than I wasn't, and that and my team was in that particular game. But sometimes that happens. Turnovers are the big thing. If you win the turnover battle, tip nine times out of ten, teams will win. And that turnover was huge. Well, you, I think you said the magic word complacency. That turn, turnover was huge, but. If I'm not mistaken, they were then tied in the turnover battle. So right, because they had the pick from um, Bilal Nichols, right? So I think they were tied at that point. So, but winning it nonetheless is important, right? You'd rather have positive one than zero, right, on that differential. But I think you said the magic word of complacency in your experience as a football player. But like when Cole Komet did his little like <laughs> like prime time into like celebration. I had a pit in my stomach because I, I just was like, you know, you don't even have a winning season right now. You haven't finished this team off, and we're celebrating like we won the Super Bowl by 20 points in the end zones. Like, I like when players get to have fun and stuff, but it's like, let's take care of business. There's a mindset going on that is inviting complacency. It's inviting just a lack of discipline that then results in strip sacks. Yeah. Like, it's – so – Okay, so the outlook, though. We had key losses across the NFC. You've said week in and week out, when I've almost catastrophized the Bears' chances of playoffs, they still have a shot at the playoffs. And what do we need to have happen for the Bears to have a chance at the playoffs? Ooh, they need a lot of help from the in-the-hunt and wild-card teams ahead of them. Uh, specifically, the Vikings need to lose. Uh, we need the NFC West, West to keep beating up on itself with the uh, – Rams, Seahawks, and Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are on a, the Cardinals are on a downward tra- trajectory, so we need them to lose. And we need the Vikings to lose, and ultimately the Bears need to win out, which is in their next three games with the Texans, Vikings, and Packers. And the Jags, who have been, they, even though they're losing, they're fighting in these games. And the Jags, excuse me. Yeah, I don't know. The Jags always play people tough. They just don't win. <laughs> it, well, it, it, wouldn't it be poetic to have Mike Lennon come in almost if the bears start winning and then have the Jags at the helm of Mike Lennon for some reason, then put the nail in the coffin on their season. That would just Man. be, that would just be something out of Hollywood again. And it's like every week the bears manage to have these sensational storylines <laughs> and just end up just shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, I still can't believe we signed Glennon when Pace got here. Well, and Signing Lennon for a lot of money too, yeah. right? Wasn't it like just like, it was like oh, eighteen mil or something? I think it was a multi-year deal, multi-million-dollar contract. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty steep. It didn't come out as the wisest move, but you know, at the time, a lot of people thought that Mike Lennon was going to be good to be to give 
Ryan Pace the benefit. I had my doubts, to be honest with you. I didn't understand why they drafted a number one draft or signed a guy for three years when they needed a, a quarterback draft pick, and then they move they trade a couple spots up and give away draft picks and draft Trubisky, and then they get it wrong. It's like, oh. Yeah, the trading up business when you sign him, I think, yeah, to your point, that didn't make a lot of sense. But I, I think – we need to move on to what the rebuild would look like because we're almost broaching that topic already um, by being reflective on their previous quote-unquote rebuild. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so you have some thoughts on the new potential new coach. Um, I do. That, they do have a new coach. We don't know yet. Well, the big thing the Bears need to figure out, and this comes from they have to first decide, meaning Virginia McCaskey and Ted Phillips, what they want to do with the structure of the organization in terms of do they want to keep pace and do they want to keep Nagy. If they decide to part ways with both those individuals, they have to also decide the identity of the franchise in terms of what direction they want to go. Do they want to stick with their bread and butter of having a defense-first team? So will they go after a defensive candidate? Or do they want to be in this new, the new age of having a young, up-and-coming offensive guru, which is becoming a cliche at this point because it seems like any person that's young that calls the offense is a guru. So... I don't know. I, I have a couple. I have a, a couple guys. I, I think we should discuss. Uh, one guy being Josh McDaniels from the Patriots, who is a guru, but not necessarily young, because he's been our uh, coached for quite a few years now, mainly with the Patriots and a short stint with the Denver Broncos as a head coach. Um, he obviously worked with Tom Brady and has won multiple championships. So he'd be an interesting guy. He's really respected around the league. Kind of switching it up a little bit, a defensive-minded guy who's in the college level that's a Chicago-area native, Pat Fitzgerald. And I think the Bears would be the only professional organization to lure him away from his cushy, cushy job in, at Northwestern. So, I don't he, know. He stated that. <laughs> I mean, he um, has. He's got, he stated that, so we do know that for sure. Yeah. But when you say McDaniels, you know what I like about that is – that's a coach who's tried to be a head coach and failed. And so he has that perspective. He's learned from that experience. It's not someone that they're taking a chance on. And the other point I like about Fitzgerald that, you you know, you bring him up is that he developed that program long term. Like mm-hmm. He had a strategy to really make Northwestern, which now they're kind of one of the preeminent under the radar producers of NFL talent. And so, like, that, that's a very good sign in a coach, I think. And, you know, he's very, he's very um, measured. He is professional, and he knows what he's doing. And so, you know, when I see guys like Dean Lowry tackling us <laughs> from the Packers, and I think about how, you know, Pat Fitzgerald helped develop him from a um, Rockford Boylan standout into a complete stud at the – well, a great player at Northwestern and now, like, kind of a complete stud for the Packers. Um, man, it pains me to think of what could have been if the Bears got him. Yeah. <laughs> but, you the know, Bears had that, Adrian that is, Amos, but they let him go. Yeah, yeah, true. There are a lot of players that we could talk about. But those are two candidates. I think that's an astute point to bring up those two in particular because, you know, I think you said um, when we were talking about this before about – so there's a lot of options they could go with, but I mean, we don't know yet if they're going to have a new coach, but okay. So when we talk about the uh, potential new GM or the current GM, Ryan Pace going into this off season, because yes, the bears have a chance to play us, but it's unlikely it's agreed that they need to improve. And, and here, here's the other thing. 
the franchise has proven that they're not happy with just winning seasons. They want a Super Bowl. So we need to make improvements. So, David, with free agency and the draft, what are your key needs for the Bears, and what approach would you take to improving this Bears team? So I think the Bears really need to, first off, realize what kind of organization they want to be, be a defensive-minded one or an offensive-minded one. I don't. I think they've kind of lost touch with their identity to some degree. Transitioning into drafting in 2021, I don't think the Bears are going to have a shot realistically to get a top three quarterback, meaning Fields, Lawrence, or that kid out of BYU, or uh, Trey Nance, I think is his name, out of North Dakota State. That being said, I think the Bears need to do their damage partially by going out in free agency and getting going after a skilled or a proven quarterback that can win in the NFL. Uh, you were, we were talking offline earlier about potentially going after Jacoby Brissett or Philip Rivers, who will be out of contract at the end of this year. Um, I think they also need to address the wide, re- wide receiver position. They have some pieces. Unfortunately, they lost Tariq Cohen at the beginning of the year with a a leg injury. Anthony Miller has shown flashes at times, but I think he's only got one more year on his contract. Darnell Mooney is here to stay. He's phenomenal, but they need to get a true number one receiver because I believe A-Rob's going to walk. So I think receiver needs to be a priority within the first one or two rounds. Um, I also think they need to invest on the uh, offensive line because quarterbacks are the most expensive players on the field. And sometimes you gotta invest in a little bodyguard to keep the keep the talent fresh and functional, right? So I, I think uh, the Bears have done the best they can to patch up the offensive line with all the issues with COVID and injuries, and arguably their best offensive lineman got hurt at the beginning of the year in uh, James Daniels. So I think they need to invest in the all line, and then uh, potentially maybe uh, look in. The secondary. Buster Screen, I know, has got one more year, but uh, he's a little inconsistent at times. He shows flashes of being that really good ball hawk player we, we want. But I think the primary focus is get a number one receiver so, so so the quarterback has someone to throw to. That's a vertical threat, not a horizontal threat. Get a top-tier lineman and then go after, out in free agency and get a quarterback. Okay, I have, I have a bit of a different approach, but I think we're – and over, I think we're in agreement on a lot of points. You brought up James Daniels. Okay, so when we're talking about the O-line and the investment, I think that when you look at the contracts and you look at who is drafted and you look at who's playing well, you can kind of un- uncover a pretty good strategy by Ryan Pace. He's drafted guys who have potential, and I think he's he, in the past couple seasons, has spent money on the defense. And then he has said, okay, now I'm going to double down, get a really good coach who can get the most out of these high potential, but maybe not as sought after players on my offense. Okay. Like that strategy makes sense, but it's not working right now. You know, I think that an O-line that has Charles Leno, James Daniel, Sam Mustafer, Cody Whitehair, then whether it's Bobby Massey when he's healthy coming back, that's not a bad O-line. I think a lot of people are rushing and say, we need to draft a, a tackle and stuff like that. And, you know, it's so easy to, like, pile on an offensive line player after a sack. But I, I, I think that that combo could work. They have a few depth players. I, I don't know if I'm as much on board with the need to invest in the O-line with picks. I think that maybe you spend something. You're going to have to re-sign Sam Mustafer. And then I think they'll need to sign some more depth depending on 
the development of Latavius Simmons and Arlington Hambright given a full offseason. Between those, like, seven guys, we have a decent O-line, but you brought up the wide receiver. I agree. They got to sign somebody to compliment Darnell Mooney and, like you said, Anthony Miller. And, and then the one thing I think they really need to do on the offense is sign a proven running back. There's going to be a lot of running backs on the market this year, and they're going to be good. But, you know, it would be interesting. Like, they could get a guy like Leonard Fournette who's kind of been maligned, but then how many times do we see these maligned running backs go to a team like Mike Davis going to the Carolina Panthers, and then they get a burst of energy. They get a new perspective. They have a new way of life in a new area, and, um, you know, things start happening. So that's the approach I would take for the offense. I think that in football, you need to balance that. It's all about – I've harped on this before. It's all about balance. And right now what I see is an imbalance of – what they're spending on the defense and what they're where they're spending on the offense. And so like they're spending a lot on their defense right now between Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson, and I think Robert Quinn next year, like Robert Quinn, his cap hit increased by 8 million. So that's going to make things a lot tougher to resign a lot of these depth defensive guys without creating a further imbalance of this roster. They need to pick a corner high in the draft. Um, to like replace, said, think, to replace who? Fuller? Well, to add depth, they they have a lot of corners right now. In what their about depth. Duke you know, Shelley? We saw a great play by DeAndre Houston Carson, but like I think he's up for contract. I think a couple other other guys because so next year they're gonna have Jalen Johnson, Kendall Vildor, I think Trey Roberson, who's from the CFL, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. that they signed. Um, Kyle Fuller, Buster Screen, and Duke Shelley. And the, here's the thing: why I say you need to pick one. In in 2022, Kyle Fuller and Buster Screen, they're probably gone or they're going to cost a lot and then here's the other thing you only signed Tayshawn Gibson to a one-year contract now he's playing really well at strong safety but then all you have is Jordan Lucas and so they're going to need to pick either like a safety or a cornerback high in the draft just because of the way the contracts will expire you would hope that you pick those guys now so that maybe it's not as hard to part ways with these proven veterans the main thing is you need to keep balance some inside linebacker depth you're going to need to have some guys in the chart. And then the other thing that we need to talk about, Roy Robertson-Harris, I think, is going to be due big money. Yeah, he's good. He's been a good spot for the Bears. He's filled in so nicely. If Akeem Hicks gets hurt or Eddie Goldman gets hurt, your D tackles, again, are we going to have another 2019 where the defense doesn't look the same because we had one injury at D tackle? Invest in the defense with picks and invest in the offense with signings, I think. I mean, the Bears kind of were dealt a tough hand this year when they lost uh, Tariq Cohen, and they just signed him to that big contract this year, or extension, which he's well-deserving of. Again, they have three guys who are speedy-speedy, meaning Anthony Miller, uh, Darnell Mooney, and Tariq Cohen, but they're all like the same type of player. They're all literally slot guys. They need a couple big-bodied receivers. Even with Cohen's new contract, compared to other teams, the Bears are not spending very much on their running backs, I think. David Montgomery has shown flashes that he can be a good running back. Just needs to be consistent and get a little help from the O-line. He's still on his rookie contract, which being on a rookie contract is much more affordable than getting a veteran free agent. So, Well, well, you bring up a good point. It is affordable than getting a veteran free agent, which begs the question why they didn't choose Mitch's fifth-year option because next year they're going to have to answer quarterback too. And even if you draft a guy like you were saying, even if you get like a – isn't it Mac Jones from Alabama? 
right? Like, yeah. you get a guy like that. Like, even if you get him, is he going to be some phenom? Probably not. You're not going to get that type of, like, immediate impact quarterback. Even with Foles and that rookie, you might need a guy who is going to put up numbers like Mitch. If you look at the guys on the market for quarterback who they could get, they're going to put up numbers like Mitch, and it's going to be about the same of what it would have cost. It's going to be more expensive than if they had taken that fifth-year option. So do you think they bring back Mitch on a, on a team-friendly one-year contract with the opportunity to compete with whoever cornerback they bring in? Well, I don't think you're going to get a team-friendly contract from Mitch and his party. Like, well, I, mean, I don't he think doesn't you're going to have that offer. Getting... Like, I, don't, I think other teams are going to easily outbid the Bears on that. And, and the thing is, the shame is that, like, are the Bears making decisions based off what the fans want? Because the fans clearly are frustrated with Trubisky's play. Or are they making football-based decisions? Because if they were making football-based decisions, why didn't they take that option? Like, he's been consistent. He just hasn't been amazing. And so it's like it would have been financially – it would have behooved them to take that option. But the evidence at the time. So it just is a whole soup sandwich right now. But, okay, they have the Texans the next week. Nagy says they're a 1-0 mindset, which I think the only week you should be 1-0 mindset is week one. But that's mm-hmm. that's to argued in the future. They're a 1-0 mindset going in against the Texans, led by Romeo Cornell and uh, I think his offensive coordinator, Carl Smith, actually worked with Daryl Bevel. So we might get a similar look offense with Deshaun Watson just coming back, playing as, as hard as he can to make up for his fourth quarter fumble against the Indianapolis Colts, to which they lost 26-20. So, David, what are your thoughts on this game this week? Well, I think uh, it'll be interesting because Deshaun Watson is a very talented player. Um, coming out of college, Dabo Sweeney, Clemson's coach, called him. He's like It's like drafting Michael Jordan in terms of the level of impact you can have on a team's organization and just how skilled he is. Um, Deshaun Watson obviously won a national championship at Clemson and is a great talented player. You know, And he's performed well throughout his young career. He, he's so well that he earned a – you know, an extension before his rookie contract was up. Early in, early in his career, he had um, receiving help from DeAndre Hopkins, who was later traded to the uh, Arizona Cardinals for draft capital, and a kind of a middle-tier running back at this age in his career, uh, Johnson out of, uh, I believe he went to Northern Iowa. Obviously, the Texans had a coaching change at the beginning of the year, letting go of Bill Bryan. Romeo Cornell is now the interim head coach. Texans look inspired, and they've been playing for their coach. Uh, They were pretty dominant in their performance on Thanksgiving Day against the Lions, where Deshaun Watson went off. I think he finished the day with four TDs. But uh, I I think coming into the game, the Texans aren't as good as they were the year before. You know, Watson will will have to make plays through his athleticism by extending plays with his legs because the Bears obviously have a phenomenal defense. That being said, I think the Texans are going to win this one. We'll call it uh, 27-13 Texans, and I say that because I just think Deshaun Watson uh, will really do a lot of good, just go off against the Bears, and I don't think the Bears have the offensive support to keep up. The Bears burned me last week. I picked them for the first time in, like, over a month. And like you that. know they, and the whole for three quarters, I was like, "Oh man, that was a good pick." I finally picked the Bears again, and then they burned me in that fourth quarter. So I, I gotta agree with you. I mean, you mentioned it. They got a, a dual running attack, Duke Johnson and David Johnson. And you know they don't have Fuller, but I, I see. Do they have Brandon Cooks too? Like they, they do. They have, I mean, they have they, pieces. They just can't. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they have some really high-quality players. And so it's really going to be interesting because the Bears' defense has given up isolated big plays. And those can really put a lot of pressure on an offense that is playing like how the Bears' offense is playing. Because even when they controlled, like last week we talked about if, if they can get the running game, the Bears could de facto control the game, the pace of the game. And they did that against the Lions. But what destroyed that strategy was these long, explosive plays that the Lions threw. So the question will be, if the Texans can get those explosive plays that players like Randall Cobb have proven that they can do against the Bears. And in on top of that, here's the other thing that we got to mention. Yeah, David Johnson, Duke Johnson, they're great at running back, but they have pretty much a third running back, Deshaun Watson, who can break defenses. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's hard to see the Texans not controlling the pace of this game, especially with such a skilled and smart guy like Romeo Cornell, who, like you said, is like – just really doing a good job. I, I would say I think the Bears are going to have more touchdowns. I think if they stay with Mitch and they stay with this running tech, they have a good O-line combo. I, th- I think they could put up three touchdowns at least. So I'm going to actually go – I'm going to pick the Texans are going to put up I'll, – I'll say 34 points on the Bears defense. But I'm going to say that the Bears are going to have at least three touchdowns. There you have it. David has the Texans. 27-13, and I have the Texans 34-24, and we'll be back next week to recap the game.